Amen. He is worthy of our worship. Well, this morning, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 4 in your Bibles. It's in the Old Testament. You might have to look in your index this morning uh, to find the book of Ezra. I'm not sure if you've been there recently, uh, but in the Old Testament, turn with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 4, and I'm going to join you there. Just a moment, we're going to stand and read God's Word uh, together. Ezra chapter 4. Well, this morning, I want to preach to you a message that God has laid on my heart, a message that has been very heavy on my heart uh, this week, and a reminder of this. I'm going to start with this statement. You know, the greatest tactic that the enemy uses against the people of God is discouragement. Discouragement. I remember as I was going into the ministry as a young pastor, one of my dear friends and close mentors, uh, Wayne Harper, I know those of you who have been here a while have heard me talk of him. As in college, he would write me these emails and these coach talks of of, uh, life and ministry, and they started as a freshman. Uh, He was my best friend's dad, and we just kind of began this relationship as a coach to a player I guess and he he would just encourage me and he would send these notes and these emails and he would say love coach and then over a couple years it was love coach dad and near the end it was love dad and we we just had this deep relationship and close friendship he's since gone home uh, to glory and uh, man I think about this week those that have gone home to be with the Lord this past year and uh, people that oh I just do long for heaven amen and uh, to be reunited to uh, look forward Uh, to that moment. And I remember in all of those coach talks, one that vividly stands out to me is when I was entering into pastoral ministry here. And one of the last coach talks, I believe, that he gave me, he talked about these four D's in ministry. And uh, I don't know if I can even remember all of them. I just remember two main ones. And one was delay and the other was discouragement. And he says, Aaron, when you enter ministry, you're going to, and there were two more, but those were the two that really hit me. Uh, and it, how many of you know that's true? Not just in ministry, but in life. There are delays. How many can raise your hand to attest to that? And if it's something as small as a copier that doesn't work, that is a character building day for a pastor. And uh, get a new copier for the church and just watch all sorts of delays that you didn't know uh, you had. And the other was discouragement. I remember that really stood out to me as he challenged me in ministry. He said, how are you going to endure uh, the discouragement that God brings in ministry? And there was this verse that he turned to and talked about the grace of God and the strength of God that infuses us with strength to be able to persevere uh, in those moments. And so um, when we open up our Bibles and we want to consider what the Bible has to say about discouragement, uh, we find out that there's actually only a couple instances in the entire New Testament where the word discourage or discouragement is used. There's actually a, a synonymous word that the New Testament uses far more frequently. It is the word for fainting. Um, Paul, in his letter to Corinth, he described that it is possible to become discouraged in ministry. He said, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And uh, having pastored now 10 years almost this summer, I can attest to that. It's easy to become discouraged in ministry. That is a real challenge. Paul tells us uh, in the same passage where he talks about discouragement in ministry, he talks about just discouragement of old age. He says in verse 16, He says, so we do not lose heart. We're not discouraged. Though our outward self is wasting away, the inner is being renewed day by day. And and some of you, you looked at the mirror this week and you were reminded of how discouraged you are that uh, life has a way of aging us. 
And, uh, and, but in that discouragement, what do we need to be reminded of? That God's Spirit is renewing us uh, day by day. In the book of Ephesians, Paul reminds us that we can get discouraged because someone that we love is going through a real challenge. Paul says to them in the book of uh, Ephesians, so don't lose heart, Paul says, over what I'm suffering. He says, don't allow my suffering and my discouragement to become a point of discouragement in your life. And, you know, Jesus reminds his disciples of this frequently. In the Gospels, Jesus says, we must always, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so when we think about discouragement, the, new, the, the, the dictionary defines it as this, to deprive of courage, to deter, to dishearten, to hinder. And this morning, we're going to open our Bibles as we have to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 4, and we're going to consider uh, the thought for the message this morning is navigating, navigating your discouragement. Navigating your discouragements. Found in Ezra chapter 4. Would you stand with me? We're going to read the first six verses and ask the Lord's uh, blessing upon it. So we stand out of reverence for the word of God. Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me in your Bible. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. We have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esherod, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building the house to our God, but we will build to the Lord and the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribe counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. And all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Ashuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, God, as we turn to this Old Testament text, as we turn to this story, and as we see that a time and a place where your people face great discouragement, Father, I pray that you would help us see the, Lord, the things that we need to do in our life to not only navigate our discouragement, but God, by your grace, overcome it. And to, like, Lord, live in the reality of what you want us to live in, and that is in your hope. And so we pray, God, my prayers for those that are coming this morning. I, I don't know their life, don't even know, Lord, the things that they've gone through this week. But God, as we all bow underneath the teaching of your word this morning, and it, it really, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be our teacher. We pray that he would open up our eyes, and Lord, that our thoughts would not be on what has happened this week, or Lord, what we have going on tomorrow, but Lord, you would center us in your word today, that we would see uh, how we might navigate the discouragements in our life. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Well, we're picking up in the middle of a story, and, and any time you pick up in the middle of a story, you know, you got to get some context as to what is happening. So let me, as quick as I can, catch you up to speed on what is happening here in the book of Ezra. Um, this was a rather unique time in Israel's history. We're told uh, from not only this book, but other books in the Old Testament, that the um, kingdom of, of Israel had been united. Remember, there was a kingdom and there were kings and there were, uh, who was the first king of Israel? Anybody remember? Who was it? Saul and then who? David and then Solomon. And, and, and Israel experienced this thriving 
uh, reign of those kings, and Israel prospered under their reign. But we're told that after the reign of Solomon, that the kingdom of Israel is divided. Remember, it is fractured. There are ten tribes that go to the north. We call them the northern tribes. And two tribes that go to the south. We're real original. We call them the southern tribes, all right? And uh, they were all just pretty much extended cousins. I mean, they, they were uh, Israelites from different tribes. But in the north, we, and in our Bible history teaches that in the north, there was this powerhouse of an empire, and it was the Assyrian Empire. And they come down from the north, and they sweep in, and in 721, they just ransack the northern tribes. They conquer them, um, and God sends prophets. He sends prophets to the southern kingdom of Judah, and he is warning them by the prophets that what had just happened in the northern kingdom could very soon become their reality if they did not repent and return to the Lord. And we understand that God sent prophet after prophet, and they did not listen. And so when they did not listen, as the prophets had prophesied, the Babylonian empire now becomes the powerhouse of the day. And Nebuchadnezzar now comes and he destroys the city of Jerusalem. He ransacks the temple. The beautiful temple of Solomon is just brought to the ground. And people are taken captive. And they enter into what we refer to as the 70 years of captivity. God's people were now um, in captivity under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And all of this had been foretold by the prophets. The prophets had warned that this would happen. But God had also, through the prophets, told them that this captivity would only last 70 years. That God would, would redeem them. That God would bring them out of this captivity. And so what do we discover? That God is faithful to his word. Amen? And he stirs the heart of a pagan Persian king by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus, in the beginning of the book of Ezra, you can look there in chapter 1, God stirs his heart and Cyrus gives this decree that the Jews who had been exiled under his reign because, you see, the Persians had taken over the Babylonians and all of those captives who had been in captivity for 70 years, um, Cyrus, this pagan Persian king, gives them this decree that they can return home. It's been 70 years. I just want you to think about how long that is a long time. If, if, if any of the people who were taken captive at a young age are old enough to remember coming back home, they probably would have just been children, maybe teenagers at best. And now they come back into this place that they're actually not even really familiar with, but it was the place that God had had for them. It was a purpose that God wanted to do in their life and through their nation. And, and so we're picking up in the story right there in Ezra chapter 4, right in the place where God stirs the heart of this king and they come back and they have this return, and they're led by some influential people. They're led by Zerubbabel. He is uh, the one who will restore and reconstruct the temple. They, they go back with this guy by the name of Ezra, whom the book is named after, who writes this book, many believe. And he, he, he goes to, as a priest to renew the hearts of the people and to restore the worship of God. And, and this is all happening in the same time as you remember we were a number of years ago in this book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah goes back, and Nehemiah's task is to uh, rebuild the wall and reform uh, all of those things. And so Zerubbabel and Ezra come back with a group of remnants first, and they begin to try and reset some things. They, they, they rebuild the altar, and they reinstitute the offerings, and they begin to lay the foundation of the temple. 
And then we discover that's where we pick up this morning, that they're in this process of working, and that's where we come to verse 1 of chapter 4. Notice the context of the story now in verse 1. Now when the, what's the next word? When the who? The adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that they had returned, that the exiles had returned, and were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers, and, and they said, let us build with you for we worship a God as you do. And so the Bible picks up that as the Israelites come back, the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they come back and, 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 and they move into this land, but it's just not vacant, right? People had moved in and people had begun to occupy that land and people had kind of drifted in. There's this, this vacuum of people and there's a great land. And so people begin to uh, move in and, and the people who were living there when the exiles come to return, are certainly not happy, all right? Uh, they are not happy. Because here come these exiles, and they had heard probably stories of what God had done through his people, and now they're returning. And the Bible says that those who were there, they were their adversaries. And, and notice, what is all this teaching us? Who were these adversaries? Well, they were what probably many Bible scholars would say are Samaritans, all right? You say, that's a familiar word. Yeah, Jesus, remember, he, he met with the woman of Samaria. And, and who are the Samaritans? What, uh, what's, what, what, you know, what's the issue? Because notice they say, you see it right there, verse 2, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. However, hold on, that was the problem. They didn't. They didn't. You see, what was the problem was their faith. Their faiths were not lining up. Their faiths were not consistent. There was this syncretistic religion. That's what the Samaritans believed and worshipped. It wasn't that they were worshipping the one true God. They worshipped a bunch of gods. And if we can just kind of bring you in to the mix and your God can be our God, let's do this together. You see, what they were doing was, the Bible refers to them as adversaries. Um, they said they were worshipping the one true God, but that certainly wasn't true. And you say, well, wait, well, then what's wrong? I mean, why can't God's people have these people help them in building this temple? I mean, couldn't they use more workers? Couldn't they use more tools? Couldn't they use more resources? So what, are the, what do the leaders of God's people say in verse 3? Notice Zerubbabel and Joshua, and this is not Joshua with Moses. This is a different Joshua. They, they say to them, what do they say to them in verse 3? Notice, look in your Bible. You have nothing to do with us. What do they mean? You don't have anything in common with us. Uh, their motives were not right. These people wanted to infiltrate into God's people so that somehow they would assimilate them back into their own religion and they wouldn't be pushed out of their land or what they thought was their land, but, 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 but God had a purpose for his people. And God had a purpose for his people. And in that, notice God's leaders, as they, they, um, they lead through, notice, they said, you have nothing in common in building the house to our God. Um, they couldn't be united with the Samaritans, all right? And you say, Pastor Aaron, why in the world are we talking about all of this this morning? Like, out of all the things in the Bible we could possibly look at, we're looking at a story from centuries ago of Samaritans wanting to assimilate with Jewish people. What in the world? All right? Don't lose me. It was a battle. It was a battle. It was a battle for the mission of God. It was a battle for the purpose of God. What does all this mean? I want to give us three takeaways from this story in Ezra chapter 4. First takeaway is this. We're all in a spiritual battle. Turn to your neighbor and tell them we're all in a spiritual battle. We're all in a spiritual battle. And the enemy always opposes the advances of God's people. 
I don't care who you are or what you've done. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I want to make a difference for my life. I want to do something for God. I want to be faithful to God. I want to, I want to build a, a, a family or a ministry or whatever you want to build. It doesn't matter. The Bible is so clear that, that anytime we take a step to advance the mission of God, just get ready because the enemy is ready to oppose it. All right? Anytime that God's people take a step to advance the mission of God, there will be always opposition to that. Mark it down. Notice in your Bible, the Bible uses the word adversaries. Paul tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Just turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him you're not the enemy. You're not the enemy. Now here's the thing. A person might be used of the enemy or a person can be influenced by the enemy, but God's people are not the enemy. Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against? What is our battle? It is spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That, my friend, is the enemy. Let's not get misconstrued as to what we are really fighting for. This is a cosmic battle that God has called you to enlist in. And he has called you to be a soldier in his army. And that's why Paul says, so fight the good fight of faith as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship. Why? Because, because Christianity is not a cakewalk. It is a battle. And it is a daily battle. Why? Because we don't battle one another. We are battling something greater. And that is cosmic forces of evil and darkness in this world. Some of us, we just lose sight of that altogether and then we, we start thinking other people are the enemy or other situations are the enemy. My friend, that is not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly says that you and I are soldiers in Christ's army. There is something we are fighting for and as Christians, we should not be ignorant of his devices. In the context of forgiveness, Paul tells us that we are to forgive. Lest, listen to what he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't be ignorant of what Satan can do in your life and through your life and in your family. Some of us are so unaware that there is opposition, there is spiritual adversity, there is conflict in the spiritual life, and we somehow think somehow we can just sail right through, unharmed and unfought, and it's not what the Bible teaches. What's the problem in Ezra 4? The adversaries were not after the same thing. They were not after the same thing. They were not after what God had for them. It was God's purpose that, that God's people would come back. It was God's purpose that they would build the temple. It was God's purpose that they would renew their worship in all of these things. And, and notice, that's not what these others wanted for them. They were coming in as wolves in sheep's clothing to try and, to try and I don't know, we don't really know the motive other than the fact that, that, that they were not on the same page, right? So here's my, here's my challenge to us this morning. Don't forget that in our life, every day of our life, we are in a spiritual battle. From the moment you wake up and before you put your feet on the floor, it is already on. It's already on. So what do we discover from this passage? Well, that our life is in a spiritual battle. But secondly, there is a weapon that the enemy loves to use. There is a weapon that the enemy will constantly use against the people of God. And it is the weapon of discouragement. Discouragement. Notice in your Bible, look down at verse 4. Notice how the Bible describes it. And then the people of the land, right, these adversaries, what did they do? They discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Here's what I know. Discouragement pops up in our life through a lot of different things. 
we can find discouragement in our life at all places. There's a few, though, that really come to the surface. The one is frustration. Because of frustration, we can find ourselves discouraged. What we discover in the book of Ezra is that it takes over 20 years for them to complete the temple. Over 20 years for them to complete the project. Why? Well, because there was opposition from the local population. But that really wasn't the issue because God would have been faithful to them in that. You know what the issue was? It was the lack of motivation from God's people. Like, they came back on a purpose and they didn't take a step forward in what God wanted them to do and they lacked the motivation. And even when the whole thing got done, remember, and they built the temple and there were those that rejoiced, the Bible says, but then the same level of rejoicing, there was this mixture of weeping because people remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. I mean, after 20 years, you would have thought they would have done more. And, 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 and all they have to show for it is this kind of measly temple in the span of everything else that Solomon's temple had been. And you say, well, why is that? Because here's what I know. Anytime you set out on a project, there's always lots of excitement. But the longer the project takes, the more weary we get in it. it. Reminds me a lot of my basement project right now that I'm in the middle of. Oh, I was so excited. I was all over Pinterest, looking at paint colors, flooring, doors, Envision, it's going to be beautiful. That was four months ago. Actually, it's, well, it's probably more like a year ago. And, uh, and uh, wow, you said it on the beginning, you're excited, and the longer you trudge through it, the more you get frustrated, the more you get weary. So God sends a prophet by the name of Haggai, and he comes to renew the hearts of the people. Why? Because for 16 years they stopped. They came back with the purpose and mission of God to rebuild the temple. And you know what they did? When things started to get hard, they gave up. When they started to get the opposition and the discouragement from people around them in this chapter, God's people quit. And for 16 years, they quit. You know what they did? They built their own house. They built their own business. While God's house lies in ruin. So what did God do? He sends a prophet to warn them and he stirs them up. And he said... Your priorities aren't right. Your focus isn't right. There's something you were sent here to do. God sent you here to rebuild his temple, to renew the worship, to draw people to the one true God. Frustration can lead to discouragement. You know another thing that can lead to discouragement in our life is fatigue. In the same time in all of this that's happening, we're told in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is in the Jewish Bible, one book with Ezra. We separate it in our English Bible, but in the Jewish Bible, it is one book. And we told in Nehemiah chapter 4, listen to what was said of Judah. It was said that the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Well, the rubble hadn't changed, right? It was still the same amount of rubble. They were just tired of dealing with it. And I don't know, man, am I preaching to anybody this morning? And you're here, and you're just tired of dealing with it, right? Like, you just look at the rubble in your life or in a situation, and you're just fed up, you're done. You're like, I'm ready to throw in the towel and quit. Because why? We're tired. The Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing, right? But yet, some of us, we can grow in a season of life, and we, we get so tired. And, and listen, let me just tell you, as your pastor, so many of us get into seasons of deep discouragement when we're tired. I remember I had a professor in college one time. He said, you know, the most spiritual thing that you can do for God sometimes is take a nap. Anybody like that today? Say amen. All right? 
Hey, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in your life is take a nap. Isn't that, wasn't that Elijah's problem? Elijah's out there on this barren wilderness. He had just had a huge opposition to what God wanted him to do. And he's sitting out there by the brook. And he's just like, he's, oh, woe am I. Like, God, I am the last one. Just take my life. Just end it here. And God's like, Elijah, there's 7,000 more that I have. You don't know about them. What did God tell him to do? Eat and sleep. Eat and sleep. Eat and sleep. Why? Because he, because he got tired. And in our tiredness, we can find ourselves prone to discouragement. So we could be frustrated. We could be tired and fatigued. What's another thing? It's our failure. Some of us, our failures will bring us to a place of discouragement. Notice in verse 4, look in your Bible. The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. How did they, how did they do that? What, 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 did they, what, did they, what did they do to discourage them? You know what they used? Their words. Think of all the things they could have said. What's this you're building? You call that a temple. <laughs> this is the longest building project I have ever seen in this area, you know. Um, looking around and, are you going to ever be able to be done with this? Like, uh, hey, I think there's a shortage of bricks, you know. Did you read the Judah Tribune today? We're in hard economic times, my friend. And, uh, and uh, there's probably a lot of uncertainty if you're even going to have the funding to finish this temple, right? I mean, think about all the things that they would have said to discourage the people and, 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 and the people probably began to listen to it. Certainly, why did they quit? They, they, they thought that they were failures. They, they thought that defeat was inevitable. And so let's just give up. Someone has once said that failure is part of being human. But it's what we do with it that makes the difference. We all fail. We all fail. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all fail. We all fail one another. We, n- none, of us, none of us have never failed anybody but God's grace is greater. But Satan would use any opportunity he can to discourage the people of God. He can use the things that people say to bring about discouragement that people begin to hear things, things that may not even be true, but before long they begin to believe that it's truth. And all of us have believed a lie from the evil one and have find ourselves in difficult places. And then there's fear. It says it there in verse 4. They made him afraid. How did they do that? They intimidated him. It made them feel anxious. Notice in verse 5 and 6, notice what's happening. Notice 5 and 6, they bribed counselors. They paid people to spread misinformation. Verse 6, they wrote an accusation back to the king, right? So they're doing all of these things to try and breed fear, to try and breed misinformation. And, and, and here's the thing. Satan always wants to oppose the work of God. Mark it down. Satan always wants to oppose the work of God. I mean, we, wouldn't, we shouldn't really be surprised as the church when we face opposition or, or resistance in what God wants us to do. And I mean, you look at the New Testament and you look at the early church, right? And, and look at the way that Paul was so faithful in, in, in his missionary teams and establishing churches and, and, and being faithful to reach people for Christ. They were, they were serious about the mission. But my goodness, how many of those New Testament letters do we read? And Paul talks about he's just burdened with tears, right? And he talks about people that deserted him, people that stood against them, like people that hindered the work. And, and, and Paul's so focused that he knows he's not wrestling with flesh and blood. He knows he's wrestling against a higher principality and power, but he still knows that there's opposition to the work of the gospel. And so what do we see here in all of this? We, we, we understand that, that fear can bring us to a point of discouragement. Satan can, he, he can accuse us. 
The Bible tells us in Revelation that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He's like a roaring lion, lion walking around seeking whom he may devour. He is on the move. He is on the prowl. And he loves to accuse people to people. He loves to accuse you to yourself. God has not given his church a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. That's who our God is. We don't have to listen to the enemy's lies. You realize that these false accusations, the thing that Satan would say and accuse us of, those things in life can only be conquered by one thing. The Bible tells us in Revelation that they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's the only thing that can defeat Satan's lies is the blood of Christ and his testimony. And, 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 and we have to speak this to ourselves, right? Because when we're in places and when we find ourselves in discouragement and we're trying to navigate that, we have to speak truth and God's truth to us and remember that God is for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Remember that this is our God, that he loves us. I love that song we sing, the blood of Jesus speaks for me. Amen? Amen. It speaks. The Bible says in Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So what do we discover? What do we discover here? It is easy to get discouraged. How many can raise your hand in testimony to that? It's easy to get discouraged. So what do we discover? That the life, the Christian life is a battle. One of the main enemies, the spirit, uh, the, the, one of the main weapons that the enemy would use is discouragement. So what do we do about it? How can we overcome it? It begins first by diagnosing your own discouragement. I wonder, have you been discouraged in recent days? Been discouraged? Sometimes we won't call it discouragement, but if we really think about it, we're, we're discouraged. We've, we've lost courage. We've been deterred. We've been hindered. We're discouraged. Where's your discouragement coming from? Dig deep in your soul this morning and see, is it not one of those four things? Is it failure? Frustration? Fear? What is it? How do we overcome it? God's people were discouraged. They went back with a mission. They were faithful to it for three years maybe not even that long and then they quit and for 16 years they quit they quit because they're discouraged and you know what God does I'm so thankful God does not leave us in our discouragement turn to neighbor and say God won't leave you there uh uh not our God he's too good he's too powerful what does he do in this case he sends prophets. He sends two guys. One's by the name of Haggai. The other's by the name of Zechariah. And he, God sends them to stir by his spirit the hearts of the people. And what is their message? Repent. Go back. Look at what God wants to do. God's not finished here. God has more to do here. Don't give up. What do we discover? We, can, we don't have time to read their books, but 
You can look at both of those prophet books and they're all happening at the same time. But let me give you three simple things this morning to overcome your discouragement. Number one, God wants us to return to the heart of God. Return to the heart of God. Can I ask you a question this morning, friend? How do you return to the heart of God? Through prayer. Through prayer. How do I return to the heart of God? It's through prayer. You see, when we pray, Jesus said, that's why men ought always to pray and not lose heart. We've got to pray. You've got to pray in your own life and recognize that I need the Lord. Did you say that out loud with me? I need the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that this morning. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Because we need Him. Uh, apart from Him, we can do nothing. We, 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 we need to return to the heart of God. We need to go to the Lord and just say, Father, I am your child. You love us. You love me. I belong to you. You are for me, not against me. Lord, I want to walk in the light as you're in the light. If there's sin in my life, Lord, forgive me. May the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse me. But God, you are all I need and you are sufficient for today. Someone once said this, when we find ourselves discouraged, we need to look up. We need to look up. We need the heart of the Father. We need, we need to go to the Lord and recognize that like the children of Israel here, they had lost their confidence in the sufficiency of God. They had allowed their eyes to go on their own things, their own personal interests. They didn't focus on what God had called them to do. But can I tell you this morning, our greatest need is our greatest asset. Our greatest need is our greatest asset. Because here's the good news. We have a good father who longs to hear the prayers of his children. I get this now that I'm a dad. Ashlyn comes in the room. I don't care what it is. I want to say, I, I, am, I am all ears. Your need, I'll take care of. And some of us don't allow God to fight our battles. Some of us don't let God do things in our life because, because we don't want Him to do it. But when we get to a place of need and we begin to say, Lord, Lord, I, I throw my hands up and I can't. It's great news to our God because He delights in he delights in that. How do we overcome our discouragement? We return to the heart of God. Secondly, what do we do? How do we overcome our discouragement? We return to the Word of God. The Bible convicts us of sin. And Haggai the prophet comes to call the people to repentance. He's, he's calling out the sin in their life and the way that they had abandoned God. God didn't walk away from them. God wasn't finished in His purpose for their life. But they walked away and the people called it quits and they pressed pause. And God comes through His prophet and He says, Hey, you've neglected God's house. Let's go back. To, go back. Renew. Repent. And God uses him to go and he stirs up the heart of Zerubbabel, the guy that had started the whole project to begin with. And Joshua and the fathers and in the book of Haggai, we can read that they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They repented. They turned. They went back. They did what God wanted them to do. You know, the same is true for us in the New Testament today. 
The Bible says in the book of Acts that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. But there's something that we're supposed to do for that. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, every one of you. Repent. Why? Because it's in turning back to the Lord. It is in going back to the Lord that we realize what, what we need, the refreshment, the encouragement that our souls are needing is because it's not that God's left us. We've walked away. And God's word convicts us of sin. And God's word convicts us of truth. But God's word also gives us hope. And if you're discouraged, my friend, this morning, you're not anchoring your soul in the hope of Jesus. You've just fallen into defeat. You've, you've fallen into despair and depression and defeat. That, that somehow that God is not faithful. That somehow God is not good. That somehow God is not true. And if we go to the Bible and we go to the prophet Zechariah, we remember that God is faithful to his promises. And so Zechariah, you know, Haggai goes and he's calling to repentance. And then Zechariah comes and he's given him all of this hope that God is faithful to his covenant. God's not done here. God has a purpose for this tribe and for this people. Man, I, I just say, God has a purpose for your life. He's not done. He's not done. There's something God still, today, He's given you today, amen? There's something God wants you to do today. Today. Live for God today. Praise the Lord today. Serve the Lord today. We're not promised tomorrow. Zechariah says, declare the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. God says, if you repent and return, I'll be gracious to you. Isn't that good news? We, are, we already know the response of God to his children. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We, we don't have to wonder, is God going to be in the mood to receive me, to accept me? He is. He is. How do we overcome our discouragement? We return to the heart of God in prayer. We return to the word of God and the truth of it. It convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. It gives us hope. And then the last thing, and probably the most important thing, in order to really move forward, is that we have to return to the mission of God. We have to return to the mission of God. What are people prone to do when they're discouraged? What are people prone to do when they're discouraged? Just quit, Right? Just give up. But notice here, God's people didn't do that. When we're discouraged, our focus is not on what God's work. Our focus is on our own work. When we're discouraged, our eyes are on our self-pity, our self-justification, and we quit serving the Lord, and we start whining about why things are the way they are. And discouragement was so powerful in the people of God in this passage for 16 years they paused God's mission. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, I've only been here 10 years, and I'm still thinking, waiting six more years? Sometimes as a pastor, I, Nancy's here this morning, I'm sure Doc, I remember going over to his house, and we'd sit on the back porch, and he'd just talk to me, and so good having a dear friend in ministry, and someone who understood discouragement. And, you know, sometimes I can remember as pastors just talking about seasons of the church, and life of the church, and whether he got discouraged points or I got discouraged and um, try to encourage one another. And, uh, and I thought about today, imagine being 16 years of discouragement. <laughs> That's a long time. Imagine the people of God not moving forward in the mission of God for 16 years. 
God abandon them? Nope. We don't have time, but you can read chapter 5 this afternoon and discover that God gives them a new beginning. They had the new beginning when they came back. But now when you turn the page to chapter 5, it's 16 years later and God's giving them this new opportunity to be faithful in His mission. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that today's a new day? Amen? Are you thankful the mercies of God are new today? Amen? So what do you need to do? Reconsecrate yourself to the Lord. Reconsecrate your life to God today. Because there's joy in laboring for the kingdom. It's good. When you give your life to the best master, it comes with the greatest reward. So can I ask you a question? What is your ministry? What are you doing that if you didn't do it, there would be lives and people unchanged? What's your ministry? We all need a ministry. We all need a personal mission. Everybody, every one of us, when we wake up in the morning, have to have a reason for, for something. And in our serving, in our serving, we quit thinking about our problems and we start getting busy serving the Lord and we just discover that God gives us perseverance. God's going to carry us through. God's people are going to endure. They're not going to quit. Turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. Uh-uh. You hold me do that. And I'll hold you to that. Because there's a mission that God wants us to be about. In 2023, you know what it is? It's reaching people for Christ. It's reaching people for Christ. That's our mission. Don't lose sight of it. Don't allow discouragement to sideline you in what God wants to do in your life this day, this month, this year. Let's stay faithful to what God wants us to. All right? It's not going to be easy. <laughs> None of us signed up for easy, did we? But God wants faithfulness. And God will give us the strength, the endurance, Keep on keeping on. Amen? Father, I pray your blessings over this people. God, I pray for us in our church. Lord, I pray for our community. Lord, there's too much on the line. There's too much at stake, God, for us to find ourselves in the pit of despair. God, if we're there this morning, I pray that you would pull us up out of the mire that we have put ourselves in. Lord, help us to see your forgiveness. Help us to see who you are. Help us to see our renewed purpose. Lord, set our feet on a rock. Even when we're faithless, you remain faithful, amen? So Lord, we're just asking right now as a church, we, we reconsecrate ourselves this morning as a people. Lord, we want to move forward in your mission. We, we want to move forward in what you're doing in our personal life, corporately in the life of this church. 
And Lord, we, we, we know we can't. Man, Lord, our hands are up. We can't do it. That's good news because your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so Lord, we just pray for you to, 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 to do supernatural things in, in our life and in this place for your glory. Lord, let, let people see your glory. Let people see how worthy you are. God, may our hearts be renewed in our worship. Lord, that people are drawn to you and drawn to what you can do in their life. Lord, let's be encouraged. Help us to navigate our discouragement. We, we, we just consecrate all of this into your mighty hand. We ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You stand up and we're just going to sing out this morning. We have a, we have a hymn. Can we, go back, uh, can we go back to This Is My Father's World? Can we, can we sing that? I know I'm just switching everything on us, but this is my Father's world. And just lift up your voice in the song. This is just a response of worship. May, the, 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 the altar's going to be open here. If you want to pray, you want to you get alone with the Lord, you want to reconsecrate your life afresh and anew to what God wants in your life today, do it today. God's leading you to take a step of faith and unite with the church or be baptized. I don't know what God's doing in your life today. Respond. You want to pray? You want to use this time to pray for someone else? Come. The opportunity is available. Take this time through the song just to meet with God, to respond in what He's doing in your life personally. Lift up your voice. Let's sing it out together.